Let us pray. Lord, you teach us about your righteous judgment through Noah, your faithful preacher, and through your flood. We thank you for your continual warnings that prepare us for your coming. We confess that before your judgment we must be found wanting and ought to be condemned with the world for our sin. Come to us with your righteousness in Christ through word and sacrament and make us heirs of your eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is from the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter, beginning with the ninth verse. Please rise. <clears throat> this is the account about the development of Noah's family. Noah was a righteous man, a man of integrity in that generation. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. In the sight of God, the earth was morally corrupt, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked at the earth and saw that it was corrupt, for all flesh was corrupt in all their ways on the earth. So God said to Noah, I have decreed the end of all flesh, because the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Seal it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is to be 450 feet, its width 75 feet, and its height 45 feet. Make a roof for the ark, and leave an 18-inch opening just under the roof. Place a door on the side of the ark, make it with lower, second, and third decks. I myself am about to bring a flood of waters on the earth in order to destroy all flesh under the sky that has the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth will die, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. You shall bring a pair, male and female, of every kind of living flesh into the ark with you to keep them alive. Include the birds according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, every creeping thing on the ground according to their kinds. Two of every sort shall come to you so you can keep them alive. Take with you every type of food that is eaten and store it for yourself so it can be used as food for you and for them. So that is what Noah did. He did everything that God commanded him just as he had been told. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. The task of tracing the chronology of the Old Testament has sometimes, frequently, been mocked. Those who believe in the theory of evolution would say that it's all mythological or symbolic. But the books of the Bible don't present it that way. This is all presented as actual history, and there is a multitude of archaeological evidence to support its claims. Some interesting things come to light when we look at the account of the flood as an historical event. For example, Adam died just 120 years before Noah was born. And Noah's father, Lamech, probably knew Adam. Methuselah, the man who lived longest in the history of the world, died the same year that the flood occurred. Noah started building the ark when he was 480 years old. In fact, just 20 years before the birth of his first son, Shem. 
When we read this account of the flood, the emphasis is not on the global catastrophe or the geological convulsions or the human tragedy caused by the flood. This is the story of Noah. And God causes Moses to write, Noah was a righteous man. Why could he be described that way? After all, we're all sinners, even Noah. How can God call him righteous? Martin Luther delivered a sermon on what he called the two kinds of righteousness. The first, he says, is alien righteousness. That is, the righteousness of another instilled from without. This is the righteousness of Christ, by which he justifies through faith. The epistle to the Hebrews says that by faith Noah, when he was warned about things that had not been seen before, built an ark in reverent fear in order to save his family. By it he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is by faith. And therefore what St. Paul writes to the Romans is demonstrated in Noah's case. For this reason no one will be declared righteous in his sight by works of the law. For through the law we become aware of sin. But now completely apart from the law, our righteousness from God has been made known. The law and the prophets testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. You see, Noah was saved not by merely some generic faith in a merciful God. Although that may sound good, it's not enough, because it's not tied to Christ. As we heard last week about the seed of the woman in whom Adam and Eve had faith, so also Noah was saved by faith in the woman's seed who God promised would crush Satan's head and free Satan's slaves. The righteousness he received from outside of himself, Christ's righteousness, came to Noah by virtue of the word, the promise and the prophecy of Christ to come. While he waited for Christ, he listened to the word of God and believed him, and God declared him righteous. Therefore, the text says that Noah was a man of integrity. The Hebrew word used here, tamim, means complete. Noah was complete. How does a man become complete? St. Paul tells Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, well-equipped for every good work. It was by listening to the word of God that Noah became a man of integrity. It's the same way that we become complete. Now, no doubt the unbelieving world mocked Noah for claiming to be the only one who had truth, righteousness, and wisdom. But the world was hypocritical, convincing themselves and others that they were godly. True intolerance is the mark of the hypocritical world. If anyone should express disapproval of what the world approves and praises and takes pride in, he is immediately clubbed with the curse of excommunication and is condemned as a heretic and is an enemy of God and of love. What makes the world different from the church? St. Peter called Noah a preacher of righteousness. 
This means that he condemned what God condemned. And he proclaimed the righteousness that only God could give and would give through Christ. The world can't stand hearing that its own righteousness counts for nothing. But it's true. Only the righteousness of Christ counts for anything. And it is given to you in the word in baptism, and in the body and blood of Jesus in the sacrament, the blood that he shed to take your unrighteousness onto himself, and the body that bore all our sins on the tree. He trades with us. It's after receiving this alien righteousness of Christ that our righteousness begins to be appreciable. The second kind of righteousness, Luther wrote, is our proper righteousness, not because we alone work it, but because we work with that first and alien righteousness. This is that manner of life spent profitably in good works. And therefore Noah is described as a man who walked with God. And such a walk means to carry on the business of God in public, to occupy oneself with his word and to teach his worship. Receiving the righteousness of Christ by faith, we live that faith. We commonly call this sanctification. That's how we demonstrate our faith. And how we grow in grace. Our worship service includes the prayer that the word and sacraments we receive would be used by God so that we would be strengthened in faith, so that we are ever more sure of his salvation, and perfected in holiness, so that we grow stronger and stronger in doing good works, and comforted in life and death, so that we may face any eventuality with the confidence that is in God's word. As we grow in this grace, and this holiness, and this comfort, we look at the world around us and wonder what makes it different from the world before the flood. It's just as corrupt with sin, and the scarcity of true faith is just as apparent, Godly people cannot undo the corruption of sin. But as we lament over it, God does always hear you crying. Let us examine, in Noah's case, what would God do for him? God said, I myself am about to bring a flood of waters on the earth in order to destroy all flesh under the sky that has the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth will die but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. This was not a journey. It was not an epic saga. This was a rescue. I want you to notice that this is the first covenant in the Bible. With these words, God places himself under obligation to Noah. Notice, too, who does all the work? God does everything. He gives Noah instructions for the ark's construction, and he brings the animals in two by two. He provides food for them during the flood. Now, God could have nourished them on the ark without food. In fact, he could have saved Noah and his family and the animals he wanted to preserve without an ark. And further, God could have destroyed wickedness without a flood. But God chose to use means. He chose to use materials that Noah could see and feel and taste 
and smell. And this gave Noah and his family something to do. With the provision of food, God also preserved some plant life. He likewise reminded this family of the gardening life of Eden, the paradise that we had lost and hoped to regain through promise. He also gave these physical means of grace. He does the same with us today. He could give us faith with a zap. He could separate the wheat and the tares with the blink of an eye. He could keep our faith strong and our lives growing in perfection with a, a swelling feeling each morning as the sun rises. But God chooses to use means. God saved the world by putting on flesh that could be touched, by dying in that flesh, and by filling that flesh with new Easter life. In that one, Jesus Christ, we are united to the same by the same life by the waters of baptism, an element that we can feel, an element that drowns the wicked old Adam and raises, floating on top of the water, the new man made in Jesus' image. We taste the same body and blood of Jesus in the sacrament of the altar, reminding us concretely of the banquet in heaven as well as of the sacrifice made for our salvation, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we look at the way God brings us salvation, the world thinks it's foolish. It thought the ark was foolish as well. But first of all, one must consider not what is being said or commanded, but who is speaking. If God hadn't been the one to say it, then forgiveness, baptism, Holy Communion, even the gospel itself would seem trivial and unfit for such a glorious God. But he joins his promise to these things. And therefore we ought to value them as the heavenly treasures they are lowered to earth for us to feel. How blessed must Noah have been to feel with his hands the very wood God would use to save him. How blessed must he have been to hear the animals that God had selected as he brought two of every sort to him. How blessed must he have been to taste the garden plants that God had provided for him to tend and grow and harvest within the ark. With every sense, Noah experienced the salvation of God. You are also given these things. With your ears you hear the word of your salvation and how you are forgiven. With your skin you felt the waters of baptism and may again feel the hand of the pastor bringing those baptismal benefits to you again in the absolution. With your tongue you taste the body born of Mary and the blood spilled on the cross to save you. You may be certain of your salvation because God said, I will establish my covenant with you. Noah, the father of us all, was given the service of God. God still gives his service to Noah's children, to you. For one of those children accomplished the salvation of your whole self. 
in Jesus, our brother, who was also the God who descended to Noah to serve and save him, you are also saved. This is Noah's story. Telling of his value before God, telling of what God would do for him, and telling why that matters to us. That God still comes to join himself to you, to give you forgiveness, life, and salvation. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen. Our service continues with the prayer of the church on page 4.